When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD, along with me for the ride, as always, is my big brother, TJ2, the deuce. Howdy! On nothing? You're not drinking anything? No beverage today, huh? Yeah, I'm at work. I'm sorry. Uh, Okay, all right. Totally ill-prepared. Well, that's just poor planning on your half, so... I shouldn't even have a job. It sucks. (laughs) You can't drink here. Uh, Not to worry. Oh, well, following that up is uh, my hubby, Mr. Will the Thrill, who's also your storyteller this week. <sighs> Greetings and salutations. And, and TJ, what, I'm here for you. What are you drinking, Sugar Tits? This would be the Golden Road Wolf Pup Session IPA. Did I buy that? Yes, you did. Excellent. Okay, so um, just to catch you guys up on our personal life i i don't you guys know i don't drink i haven't i haven't had a drink in like seven or eight years now at this point and that's just because like i got too much crap to do and so i just don't drink and i also never really like the flavor but me and will are moving across the country and nestled somewhere in the bowels of texas there's a brewery called the family business and literally we have set our gps on our trek across the country that is going to be one of our first stops is going to be this brewery cup brewery called the family business and ld <laughs> has promised that she would drink a beer and i'm gonna hold her to that i will drink i hate beer i can't stand it but i will have one because of the brewery and this is because why is that it's owned by jensen eccles who is on supernatural and is also in season three of the boys playing soldier boy and he's just the cutest little thing he's just <laughs> adorable as i just want to squeeze him and drink his beer <laughs> hope he makes good beer and i and i'll also be bringing my brother a six pack it might end up being a five pack i don't know but i'll bring you something tea oh i believe tj we also so you're going to going to a brewery in texas and it's not going to be shiner really yeah sorry it sounds like poor choosing to me but whatever we have different priorities i believe we have a bottle of the let's get lost whiskey for your brother too which we procured in delaware yes we do Mm -hmm. well we got we got vodka or gin i can't remember which one it was uh whiskey we got whiskey, whiskey. okay mm-hmm. i thought it was vodka or jam okay oh, no. anyway so that's that's catching us up on uh our drinking habits but uh today as we record this we do have sad news to bring to you and that is that queen elizabeth ii has passed away today end of an era L- literally it's yeah. actually they, they've closed the book on the elizabethan era it is now the era of charles which is not as fun because like you had edwardian victorian elizabethan what is it charles tastic I really hope it's Charles Tastic. They better go with that. <laughs> oh, Charles. they should call it Chuck. Yes. How about us? How about Chucky Ducky? Ooh, I like that the one. Chucky Ducky era. Party <laughs> yeah. Charlie. Yeah. But I will say, like, it's weird because we're Americans and we literally told her, like, great great grandfather uh, that we were leaving. And we were like, deuces. And then we left. And she was. Uh, and then we had a fight about it. Yeah, and then we had a fight about it, and then and she, she was a running joke in the Naked Gun films. Yeah, she was, but like she, she was, she's always been in our lives. She's been with us our whole. She, her reign started seventy the, uh, years ago. Yeah, to be the to to be the monarch of a country whose ass we kicked in two wars, <laughs> she's held in very high regard in in the states. Well, 
are you saying two world wars because they, they were both on our side like for both the, no the, the revolution and the war of 1812 oh okay i thought you were actually literally talking about the world wars and i'm like i think we no, were no we were no no then. we were we, no we were no we were cool by then uh much earlier yeah but she actually fought in world war ii so you know and the other thing that and, and you know the 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 monarchy and uh, over there is now more ceremonial not a lot of actual powers i was reading an article that her death could be a momentum shifter in terms of like new zealand pursuing uh being its own republic yeah i mean this could things shake like up, that this could shake up a lot of things and also like the other stuff like Meghan markle wasn't invited to be at her side in scotland and all kinds of stuff like it's her death does literally mark the end of an era but it's also you have a prime minister that just came to power like three days ago her last known yeah, photo of, was of was her and uh liz trust yeah yes the, the I, I think i heard the 15th prime minister during her right yeah and and think she Insane. she she's known every president since truman <laughs> so i mean Road horses with ronnie and yeah, she's had a, a she had 96 years that's a long life that is a very long life and i i know us as americans really can't speak to like what it is but i will tell you guys a little story about my i won't even say it's obsession with the royal family it's an intrigue with the royal family but i'm gonna pass it over to my brother who's gonna tell you a story about what happened one night in 1997 yes um i was asleep dead asleep at our grandmother's house and a weeping, gnashing, screaming, emotional wreck of a sister, LD, shook me, literally grabbed me and shook me to tell me that that uh, Diana had passed away in a car wreck. And I think I looked at her and said, oh, that's really sad. I'm sorry. <laughs> not, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, not being flippant about her, about her death. Like I, I literally, I was dead asleep at like two in the morning or something. Oh yeah. I stayed awake all night watching the news report on it because uh i think i got i think i i was i'm always i've always been an early riser i think i woke up about 6 6 30 you were still sitting in front of the television i don't think you ever went to bed i did not i literally did not i watched like a, a news cycle that lasted a good 14 hours and uh i just i remember just thinking like oh my god you know we've lost our princess she was always going to be princess to me but like that was sort of when my intrigue started. And I loved the royal family. I just, I, I think that they're a beautiful mess. <laughs> just a beautiful mess. And so, I mean, she's, she, it's sort of flippant for us to say like, oh, she will be missed. No, things are going to be different now. And that, sure. that's, that's going to extend the political, any, any, now Charles is, oh God, Charles is in charge. Huh? Charles in charge of our days. Our day. And our oh god i regret saying that anyway with, uh, all right. with, with uh, prince willie ames <laughs> <laughs> all right so it so to button this up you know we do our our thoughts and our prayers as always are with the families the, the royal family tonight as we watch the dawn of a new era and and I, and i want to throw this out real quick you can go read stories from 2017 where it was detailed exactly what would happen when the queen died in terms oh, yeah. of how it would be announced, how BBC, the BBC would handle it, how all their presenters were, in would black. be wearing, would be wearing, you know, black mm -hmm. suits and black ties. And uh, the, the, the songs on the radio would be played, but they would be really sad songs. Also it was like, like a was mood a one and mood two. There's a tradition of the footman coming out and posting uh, the the notification from Buckingham Palace and they did that and I'm like oh god she's actually gone because that's there's like a process like the doctor uh, comes out and is switched out from the representative physician to her personal physician and then he's the one that will actually I, I heard a rumor and I don't know if it's true but if her eyes are still open when she passes he closes them and if not it's a it's like a what do you call that? Oh God, what's the word? A some symbolic closing. So he'll just like do rub his fingers over her eyes to close them. Um, and then that happens. And then, yeah, the, the BBC stops all programming for the day up until 6 PM. And then the announcement happens. Then the family's announced and then the public is announced. And then 
uh, all social media is barred from any of the royals. Like you can't post about it. And then the footmen come out, they post the the notification that she has passed. And then there is, I think, nine days of her of mourning and she'll be buried on the ninth day. But it's like, ends up being like 11 days of pomp and circumstance. So it's like very much choreographed. And so it's, you know, they, they have started this dance already. Prince Charles is no longer Prince Charles. He's now King Charles. And uh, Liz Truss, when she came out and did her press conference about the queen passing that's she ended her speech by saying long live the king so yeah and we haven't uh, you know we haven't had a president pass in a while but those are steeped in traditions and a, a lot of the, the the ceremony and the pomp and circumstance you talked about when those occur yeah i mean they they lie in state in the well, they lie in state but then like with with when like ronald reagan passed away they had the the what the parade in, in dc and there was the the horse with the boots and the spurs you know but the, the riderless horse and a lot of symbolic thing of course yeah you know, reagan rode a lot of horses too but the, the, but it was very, very similar but we haven't had anything like that in a really long time here yeah i think I was mean, reagan the last president we lost i can't remember no it was bush oh yeah you're right you're right that was that was much more recent right Walker Bush, Bush 41. Yeah. All right. Well, this isn't the political burial podcast. So let's move on to our subject for today that we are now starting part three of. Mr. Will the Thrill, would you like to take over, please? Yes. And I'll start by first acknowledging our sponsor, BetterHelp, because let's be honest, we can all use a little help sometimes. No matter where we are in our lives, we can use that little help. We spend hours working on our careers pushing forward, trying to lose weight. But I'll ask you something. When was the last time you focused on your mental health? Mm, Not physical, mental. For me, I know it was too long. Like a lot of people, I thought I was doing everything right, but nothing was coming together. It was an imbalanced equation. And I thought there was something wrong with me. So what did I do? I found better help and I couldn't be happier that I did because I was feeling really disconnected and they set me up with a therapist who really suited my needs. It was all about having the right person to talk to and that's where BetterHelp comes in. It allows you to get the specific help you need for whatever is eating away at you. They can ask you targeted questions to set you up with a licensed therapist to discuss whatever you want, big, small topics, it doesn't matter. BetterHelp will get you somebody tailored to your needs from the comfort of your home, which let's be honest, is the way to go. People are working from home these days, You don't want to go driving around, finding a doctor's office, sitting in traffic, paying for parking. It's a big headache that you're better off without. So you can, from your house, get set up with a licensed therapist in under 48 hours. And I'm telling you folks, this was a game changer for me. It's been a game changer for a lot of other people, and it can be a game changer for you as well. We are very proud to have BetterHelp sponsor this podcast, and that's why we have a 10% off special offer for our listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com just by entering our code. That is rockheaven. So betterhelp.com, enter our code rockheaven to get that 10% off your first month of professional therapy. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast helping me out and so many others because better help means better life. No. And to be honest, lately with everything that's been going on, please guys don't let your mental health be something that you put on the back burner and like mental health is so incredibly important. So please take advantage of this deal while it lasts. Uh, and that's, that's pretty much you, you love your better help therapist, right? Will? Absolutely. My therapist was, again, a big changer for me. And I think LD, you've seen the difference. Um, and I couldn't have done it without better help. So and it's not, it's not just uh, tell me about your mother. It's literally like, how do you deal with the situation? And it's, it's a lot better than the idea that people have in their head about therapy. So please take advantage of that. Um, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, moving on to who are we talking about? Just refresh us since we're sure. not t- actually talking about Queen Elizabeth II. <laughs> right. Despite what you may think le- listening up to this point, we are covering the great late Lane Staley, who was, of course, the front man of Alice in Chains someone that not a lot of people know a lot about. So I'm hoping to change that with this little series we're diving into here. Speaking of, let's get back to it. So I do want to issue a little warning at the start of this because these episodes will deal with some very difficult topics, which include addiction. As we know, Lane Staley was unfortunately an addict 
and there are other folks in the stories who are also battling addiction. So please note that is a topic we're going to cover quite extensively. If it's something that is a trigger for you, feel free to not listen to this episode. And please know that if you do struggle with addiction, there is help available. Please get help. And that is something that can certainly happen in your local area. Um, also, there's a language warning. Uh, the boys in Alpha Chains do love to swear. And I'm going to try to censor myself, but there are some things particularly in this episode that I'm not going to be able to skirt because it will lose the flavor and the impact of what's being said. So again, I'll do my best, but we are going to drop a few few swear words here and there. Uh, also, some other things that may make people uncomfortable are, um, oh, that's really it. Um, but we'll dive in and get to the meat of it. So when last we left off, we were putting the band together. We had the boys and Alice in Chains sort of meeting up through a series of cosmic circumstances. And at the end of the last episode, I said, there's one more person. Now, Alice in Chains is a four-member band. There is no magical fifth musician. There is someone, though, who is key in Lane's life. And that someone was Demry Lara Perot. It's spelled like parrot, but it's not pronounced the same way. It's Perot, the French. Demry Perot was born on February 22nd, 1969 in Bremerton, Washington. She was the daughter of Stephen Perot and Kathleen Austin. This was one year and one month after the release of the popular song, The Mighty Quinn. It was written in 1967 by Bob Dylan, but performed in 1968 by Manfred Mann's Earth Band. <laughs> 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 I'm doing the reference early, this one. Yeah, all right. Tom, nice. take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Tom McGuinness, and that was your federally mandated Manfred Man reference of the podcast. I hope you are satisfied. Perfect. That is the greatest thing of all time. I... We never accomplished anything else. We, we did that. Yes, we, did, we, we, did we have that. that. We did that. Thank you, Tom. Uh, so I will get back to, to Lane here, but yes, thank you, Tom, for doing that. Lane and Demery had a lot of similarities growing up. They were both members of a... Uh, divided household. Both of their parents divorced when they were very young. In fact, in the early 70s, Demery's parents, Stephen and Kathleen, would split up. Kathleen would go on to remarry two times, and each time Demery would gain siblings. The first time she got her brother Devin, and then in the second marriage, her brothers Derek and David. Demery had very early exposure to the world of addiction. Her mother worked as a counselor in Arlington, Washington. So by the time she got to high school, Demery was actually helping her in the clinic and she would see just what addiction can do. I bring this up for a few reasons. I don't know how many of you know the history between Demery and Lane. She is unfairly accused of being the one who introduced him to heroin. This is not the case. Uh, in fact, I'm going to point out several things as we go through the story here that kind of point that to the contrary and that it may have actually been the other way around, but oftentimes Demery is thought to be the one that introduced Lane to drugs and that really isn't the case if you look at the timelines. Um, Demery was interested in the music and the arts. In fact, uh, she would go on to have a career in her, as she got older, as a model and an actress. At age 15, she was selected from 300 potential auditioners to attend a performing arts school in Jacksonville, Florida. So she went there for a very brief period of time. However, her interest started to wane when in 1989, she came home from Christmas break and said, I found someone that I fell in love with. No, it actually wasn't Lane. Uh, in fact, it was somebody else entirely, but that move put her in the position where she would actually get the job where she was working in Washington and eventually introduce her to Lane. And we'll get back to that meeting in a little bit because we're about two years away from that. So back to our friends in Alice in Chains in 1987. So the last time we were with everybody, if you got your Alice in Chains bingo card, all the members are now here. You've got Lane, you've got Jerry, you've got Mike, and you've got Sean. However, things were not going very well for the band, and they were starting to, to pull apart a little bit. So as we remember, the original Alice in Chains lineup, which came out of the band Sleaze, had Nick Pollock, and Nick and Lane were constantly at odds. Pollock actually was very concerned about Lane because he thought he was partying too much and doing too many drugs, and he really thought it was going to be a bad outcome. And ultimately, it pushed Nick Pollock out of the band. James Bergstrom and Johnny Bacolis thought we can steer Lane in a better direction, so let's stay the, keep this band together, but let's bring in some new talent. So they brought in a guy named Ron Holt. And Ron was there to sort of coach Lane, but he was also there to bring in some new ideas. And one of the ideas he had was, hey, you know that guy that's uh, living with you, Lane, the guitar player, Jerry? He, he's pretty good. Why don't, we, why don't we have him play with us? So 
Okay. So Lane and Jerry would play together for the first time on stage in the fall of 1987. This would, however, be the last time that that iteration of Alice in Chains would exist. Because James Bergstrom and Lane actually pulled away and sort of formed a band with Ron Holt. This was all happening while Nick Pollock was sort of being pushed out. And Jerry just thought, well, I'm going to go out on my own. I want to write my own material, so I'm going to form a band. And Lane was very amicable with this. He said, look, if you want to form a band, I'll help you do it. So he comes to Lane and says, hey, I need a drummer. Do you know a drummer? And Lane says, sure. And he gives him a piece of paper. If you remember back to episode one, that piece of paper was for Melinda Starr's phone number for Sean Kinney, because Sean was her boyfriend and he is a drummer. When asked about having a bass player, Kinney said, yeah, I know this guy, you know, Mike Starr. He's a cool dude. We can jam with him. That's a direct quote, by the way. Uh, And so they all start jamming at the music bank. You got Jerry, Sean, and Mike. And Lane kind of comes in and out. They're actually playing with some songs together. They're trying to work some things out. In fact, one of the songs that they would allegedly do for fun, LD, you love this, was Hanky Panky by the Shondells. Oh, that's a cute song. That's wild. I wish there was a recording of it, guys. I looked everywhere. But to hear Alice in Chains perform Hanky Panky, that would be amazing. A promoter overheard them at the music bank and asked them, hey, can you guys play a gig? Now, the only problem was Lane was committed to another band. And one thing about Lane was he was very loyal. So he said, you know, I've got this other band, guys. I'll help you find a singer. So Jerry and Mike and Sean said, okay, well, let's bring in some singers to the music bank. Uh, But I'll make you a deal. If you play, if you can sing us with us for now to help us out, this is Jerry. He says, I'll play guitar in your other band. So they're basically doing a talent switch here. (laughs) So Lane's band is actually the name Alice in Chains. And this is where Jerry peels off with Mike Starr and Sean Kinney to form the band name, which we hate, Diamond Lie. And so uh, you got two bands going. You have Alice in Chains, and I'm going to put an asterisk next to that because it's going to be altered a few times. And then you have Diamond Lie. And Lane is fully committed to Alice in Chains, but that band name really didn't stick. In fact, they would change it several times. Uh, They would basically change it by the gig, according to some sources. In fact, they would often go by the name Mothra and just the word Mothra Light. I mean, the movie monster. Correct. The movie monster. Yep. I'm okay okay with that. I'm fine with that. You know how much I love Mothra. And they even changed their name at one point to fuck. Just the expletive. We hear rock and roll heaven. Apologize for the foul language. I gave the warning. No, you didn't. Oh, yeah. You gave yes, no I warning. No, I gave didn't. the warning in the beginning. When did you? Oh, fine. <laughs> so they went by the F word as their name. Uh, Lane's logic was, well, we weren't working anyway, so what's it going to hurt? So they started issuing special stickers and even paired them up with condoms at their shows and would pass them out. And ready for a fun fact? Fun fact. Fun fact. Fun fact about fuck actually uh as years went on you'll it's a very fun fact (laughs) it's a very fun fact uh jerry would have his guitar and on it you would see a sticker with an f the reason that was there even well into the alice in chains era was because he stuck one of the fuck band stickers on his guitar and everything peeled off except for the f so as they were performing he still had the remnants of that sticker which he kept on his guitar pretty much for you know a lot the duration of the band i love stories like that i know it's funny uh so the band would change names they used mothra they used the f word they used 40 years of hate at one point which is just ghastly um but a lot of that's counts- pretty bad 40 years yeah. of hate's a pretty that's a bad band name <laughs> oh there's there's one coming up you guys are absolutely gonna love uh but 40 years of hate so the that band was kind of alice in chains but not really What made them interesting were the songs that they wrote. Their main influences were actually, we pointed this out in the last episode, LD, David Bowie. As you should. Lane was a huge Bowie fan. Uh, They also pulled inspiration from James Brown, Aerosmith, Faster Pussycat, and Ron Holt was a huge fan of Ministry, which if you think about where Alice in Chains is going, kind of makes sense. Uh, Some of the songs that they wrote include It's Coming After Me, I Don't Care, the things you do, not the, that thing you do. And they even wrote a song called Tribute. Now, the interesting thing about Tribute, if you file this one away, is it has a guitar lick written by Ron Holt. It's going to come back. So again, file that one away for a few years. I don't remember what I ate for lunch yesterday, <laughs> so you're just going to have to remind me of that. I, I, will I actually, I've actually, I live in the same house with you and I have already forgotten your homework. 
Well, let me let me give a little spoiler here. I think TJ, this will give it away for you. Picture kind of a crunchy guitar lick with a talk box. Uh huh. You know where I'm going. Yep. With this. Yep. I and do. We'll- We'll get to that one a little bit later. So Jerry, Mike, and Sean really wanted to bring Lane into the band, but he said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be in two bands. So he said, I'll help you find a lead singer. So they said, great. So they used the music bank to audition people. At first, it was in earnest. They would actually bring in bona fide singers and try to audition from the band. But they noticed Lane would kind of come in and out and listen and sort of make comments and go out and come back. So they actually steered into this and started bringing in really crappy singers. They would find the worst singers they could get, have them audition, and Lane would sit there cringing. And it all culminated when they actually brought in a male stripper who couldn't sing, and he just kind of yelled around the room and gyrated in front of the band, at which point apparently Lane stormed in saying, oh, fuck this, fine, I'll join your band, I'll quit the other band. So Lane leaves, and he joins Diamond Lie. Diamond Lie's first show. However, however, little known fact, fact. that male stripper did... Yes, he did end up going and forming his own band that was pretty popular a little bit, a few years later. And okay. that would be? Where is this going? Mr. Big. <laughs> I was just going to, for the spite of Will, I was going to say Tim Capello. Oh, no, you, you leave Tim Capello out of this. That guy's a saint. Look, Love and Rockets. Love I'm just trying rockets. to think about it. You know, I can mute him if you want me to. <laughs> yes, you have the power. <laughs> So we have Diamond Lie with the lineup of Alice in Chains performing their first gig together on January 15th, 1988 at Kane Hall, which is located at the University of Washington. The songs they played would actually be compiled into a later demo, which included their cover of Suffragette City, which we played last time, Social Parasite, What You Gonna Do, and the song I'm going to play for our break here. And I really want you to listen to this one because, TJ, the one thing you said up to this point is nothing sounds like Alice. I think that's about to change. So let's have a listen to, this is Diamond Lie from their demos. This one is called, I Can't Have You Blues. I can't have you
I love it when a song only has like six lyrics. Hey, they got all the mileage they could out of it. <laughs> I so, wonder what the name of that song was. <sighs> so what are your thoughts? LD, you first. I mean, I think you heard my thought. <laughs> we were we were talking off mic about how it sounds like poison and rat. So it doesn't sound like they've at this point in their career, for me, I feel like they are generic insert hair metal band here. Mm sound so far i don't think they found their footing yet i think they do find their footing later but at this point they're still just kind of relying on very similar tropes as to their forefathers got it hey well i hate to interrupt you but we do need to take a short sponsor break and we're back okay let's get back into lane staley and allison james tj um i, I was the one that said it sounded like rap the guitar and the, the intro um they're getting there, missing the dark edges and uh, some of the other trademark Alice things. Uh, the vocals are there, um, mm-hmm. but but you know they're they're still a, a band that's starting out and trying to find their way at this point. That's what it sounded like to me. It's not it wasn't terrible. It was just a little generic and very 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 repetitive. <laughs> And that's the thing is that you can tell they are maturing. I think the thing that got me about this is this is the first time you hear the Lane Jerry vocals layered on top of each other, um, which of course becomes the trademark of Alice in Chains as we get into their better known material. Also, you can hear Lane's voice is maturing. He's got more power. He's 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 more controlled. Yes, he's got the metal scream, but you can hear he's got quite a range and he can yeah, hit those notes. For sure. Yeah, definitely. So... This may not surprise you, but this band had a reputation of being a bit problematic. Yeah, who knew? Uh, they were a, actually starting, a, band, yeah. a band that called themselves the F word. Get right out of town. <laughs> yeah, I know. The heck you say. Um, in fact, they were dismissed from several local venues, including a local VFW where Lane threw a milkshake onto the crowd. <laughs> I don't know much more than that, but there you go. They did get a positive write-up about the show at Kane Hall, though, where a local journalist for City Heat named Jenny Bendel actually called them, quote, rock stars. And within a few months, she would actually contact the band and put together submission packets for them, which included photos, bios, tapes. And she actually included the line that said, please see what you can do to get these boys out of Seattle. Well, somebody heard. And that someone was Randy Hauser. I don't know if you know much about Randy Hauser, but he was a Seattle-based music manager who came from a troubled past. In fact, he was in and out of prison for drug trafficking and distribution. During the mid-80s, he was actually on parole, and he found himself at a local beauty college, sort of trying to figure things out. Uh, He was actually looking for local bands. Guess who attended this college? Melinda Starr, Mike's sister, and she got to know Randy Hauser. She knew he was looking for bands and she told him that, hey, you know, my brother's got this band and I can give you a tape. So he gets a tape with no label on it. It's very unassuming. And he's just like, yeah, sure, whatever. And uh, he basically goes home, is going through material, finds this tape and says, wait a minute, there's something here. Now, the only problem is he couldn't remember where he got it because it was an unmarked tape. So he had to go all the way around Seattle, kind of do this detective work and finally winds up at the music bank. Randy's first impression when he laid eyes on these boys said they looked like four low-life rejects that you've never heard of before in your life. And then he saw them play. Which what is actually re- uh, the description of our podcast, except for it's three instead of four. <laughs> yeah. Change that. Well, three. there's that 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 other giggling hillbilly we still haven't identified, so that that would make four. Seriously, yeah. if you if you guys seen our our fourth giggling hillbilly, please return them. We we would like them back. Missing one giggling hillbilly. Oh, how tragic! What really won Hauser over was Lane. He said he had the presence, he had the voice, he had all the makings of a real star. So as soon as session was over, he said, "I want to rep you guys." Lane sat him down and said, "Okay, tell me what you can do for us. We need to know." what how you can make us a better band so he said okay i've got a few connections in this industry i know a guy at atlantic records in la um he knew a guy named kelly curtis a gentleman named ken deans and a lady named sue silver so ld you know where this is going to an episode of glee uh that's sue sylvester oh (laughs) i'm talking about the lady who was linked professionally and romantically to chris cornell correct and you can listen all about that I believe in our episode on Chris Cornell, which was one of our like really early in our. It was early, yeah. It was very yeah. early in Will, our. Yeah. Will and I were not even uh, 
part of the show at that point. Yeah, this is back in the OG TJ days. Yeah, mm-hmm. that one. All I could think hard. when you said Sue Silver was, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Sue Silver. Not like one of those names. Not quite. Um, so the lineup Hauser proposed had a few notable names in it, at least within the Seattle music scene. Um, Nick was the guy at A&R. He, I'm sorry, the guy at Atlantic. He was the A&R man. Kelly Curtis actually started as a roadie for the band Heart. So we see a lot of roads tying back to Heart here. Ken Deans was also working as a music manager and promoter, and they were known for promoting the Seattle band Maurice and the Clichés. <laughs> no, yep. that's no. that's no. that's um that's Terry Webb and the Spiders bad. It's that up is there. Yeah. that sounds like a wedding band that you hire <laughs> when you're like first seven choices have something horrific happen to them, as in like they ate something that was laced with Ebola. And then yeah. you have to, you have to like call, like go through the yellow pages because you, for some reason, don't understand the internet and you have to go through and <laughs> find that band in the yellow pages. Well, I'll do you one better. And by the way, Maurice and the cliches might be my new favorite bad band name on this show. Uh, Terry Webb and the Spiders, that was good. And what is it? The Eternal Triangle? They were all notable. All notable for sucking and being terrible. Yes. <laughs> But if uh, you're not a fan of Maurice and the cliches, and I'm guessing by the response that there aren't many of those out there, I will say that Kelly and Ken were frequenting a local bakery and coffee shop where a young man named Stone Gossard was working as the cashier. You may know Stone from Green River, but at the time he was promoting his band Mother Love Bone. And as we all know, Stone would later meet up with Eddie Vedder and join Pearl Jam. So... Again, from Maurice and the Clichés to Pearl Jam, not too bad. So Hauser linked up with them, and he also, as I mentioned, had contacts with Sue Silver, and so he was fairly certain that he could push Alice in Chains or Diamond Lie at this point in the right direction, but they agreed they had to change the name. Hauser said, band's great, the name's gotta go, what about that Alice in Chains name? Why don't we do Alice N Chains, which has been brought up before? This was shot down by two people, Mike and Jerry. Mike shot it down because it sounded way too much like another band, as we mentioned in the last episode, who had released an album in 1987 called Appetite for Destruction. And they were sort of taking that N name far, you know, the G, G and R. The other one was from Jerry, who there was no love lost between Jerry and Guns N' Roses. And the reason is he actually went to a show with Guns N' Roses and Iron Maiden, went up to Axel, gave him a copy of a demo, and allegedly Axel took one look at it and threw it in the trash right in front of him. So... Jerry wasn't overly fond of the idea. He, yeah, yeah that, Axel, that sounds like Axel. Yeah, yeah, Axel Rose has just been consistently a douche. Yeah, pretty much. Now, there was one problem. A talented one. Oh, but, tremendously gifted. Absolutely. Wasn't no there person. also a band called the Jesus and Mary Chain? Yeah, there was. Yeah. Yeah. I so think they like were a, in the early 90s. It's like yeah. a girl's name and chain. Yeah. And Jesus, you know. Alice did it first, minus the Jesus part. But they got there. So the only problem with using Alice in Chains is that it was technically the property of Lane's former band. So Lane said, I'll talk to the guys. And they actually let them use the name without any cost or fees. And that continued well into the point where Alice had attained notoriety. So they were now Alice in Chains and they appeared as such in their first show on July 25th, 1988. So we have arrived, folks. We finally have the Alice in Chains we know. And this is also the time period where Lane and Demery got together. Allegedly, there are some differing accounts of how this happened. Uh, what we do know is that Demery had gone home to allegedly be with this gentleman who won her over. She got a job at a mall in Washington. And through one of Lane's mutual friends, she ends up at a party and they hit it off right away. Lane's friend, Sally Portillo, actually said that no one was ever serious when it came to Lane except for Demery. So these two were just hitting it off right away and soon she was hanging around the music bank uh she told her mother on numerous occasions that lane was going to be a star and they would actually go out and see them perform in the shows that they didn't get kicked out of uh one actually took place at the seattle center pain pain in the grass concert <laughs> so they attended that one lane actually proved to be more than just a musician he would actually spend time with the family they would go to thanksgiving dinner and he would actually play with the kids a lot he enjoyed carrying them around with piggybacks on his back and they thought he was just a great guy however in the backdrop lane was still continuing to use drugs and again, I have to reiterate, Debrie was not at the source of this. He was using drugs at the music bank before they met. 
In fact, Demery was one of the folks who expressed concern to the band and to Lane personally about his behavior, convinced that it was going to go bad. It actually did go bad at the Music Bank, but for an entirely different reason. And this is how the Music Bank made history in a way you're not really wanting to make history. In June of 1988, an anonymous call was placed to the Seattle Police Department stating that there was an illegal drug operation happening at the music bank. An officer went to the location to investigate and noticed that there were two exhaust vents on the roof that were, quote, emitting a strong smell of marijuana. Now, this may seem strange now because we all know Washington State was one of the first to legalize marijuana. They did it in 2013, but at this point, it was still legal. When they continued to investigate, they found that one of the buildings had two different addresses and two separate power meters, and the difference in usage on both was insane. So the Seattle PD concluded that there was something going on at the music bank, possibly a drug operation. So uh, grow lights. Uh, yes, <laughs> grow lights. The, D the DEA actually did some digging into the business partners that were with Scott Hunt, Marion, and uh, Von Hartman. And there was a cocaine charge to one of them at some point several years prior. This was enough for the police to hook on to and the judge to issue a warrant. So at 11 p.m., Seattle dispatch, dispatch units to the scene and raided the music bank. According to an employee on duty, he said, these people came busting in the door and they were in plain clothes. They were waving guns at us and I thought we were being robbed. They had no idea that they were cops. So they thought it was a full-on drug den and were expecting resistance. And they were really surprised when they got in there and found just a bunch of stone musicians hanging out and playing music. Mike Starr was actually in the back room with a graphic designer and they were doing some partying where Starr kind of heard a noise and leaned back down the hallway to see dogs and police kept coming in. And he said, oh shit. And they basically did all the drugs on their person immediately. Um, needless to say, the police still barged in and detained everybody. So it was like that scene at the beginning of Super Troopers where the kids yep. like the snozberries are snozberries. Pretty much, but with uh, much more heavier substances. No, he he, he, took, he took mushrooms. Oh, this is like cocaine. Okay. Yeah. Oh, but this is this this sounds so eerily similar to an incident we will discuss not in our next series, but the one after that. That's all I'll say. Okay. Remarkable similarity between this and something that happened in the, the life of Mr. Waylon Jennings. Yeah, I'm going to probably oh, say that wait. there's not as much drug use in our next series, which is Stephen Sondheim. Something tells yeah. me. We'll something tells me we're going to back it off a little bit. <laughs> but then we'll get it back with Waylon, I have a feeling. Oh, and uh, boy, will we. <laughs> So Mike and, and his buddy finish up whatever drugs are on them. The police still detain everybody. Um, Jerry's asleep on a couch when the police basically bust in and wake him up and they drag him up and they're, they're meeting with the manager, Dave Bollinger. They're going room to room. And Lane has impeccable timing. At this point, he is strolling out of the back door with two, shall we call them, dancers. They dance for a living. And apparently this was not uncommon. Lane would have many of these dancers around him at the music bank and it was clear that they were under the influence so just as they're heading out the back door police come in and they detain lane now it starts off with lane being really pissed off he's clearly high and he's saying some things to the cops that you shouldn't be saying and should not get away with however something happens during the course of their meeting and lane wins them over and eventually they're touring the place together lane's cracking jokes they're laughing in fact he would often look around a room and look down a hallway and say hey where the fuck's Geraldo? obviously alluding to the Al Capone incident with Geraldo. Um, and in the end, Alice in Chains was the only band that was allowed to leave the bank and remove all of their gear. They were the only ones. Issue though, the only car they had was Lane's beat up VW Dasher. So they took all their gear out of the music bank, stashed it in front of the music bank and slept there until the next morning when Jerry could get a truck and they could pick everything up. So Scott Hunt, the owner of the bank, later learned that his business partners were in fact running a grow operation. What had happened was they had rented the adjacent buildings and were running a $30 million illegal pot operation. Dude, congratulations. Yeah, I know, right? What they were doing was, is again, wow. they split the addresses. They hooked up the electricity out of a supply room at the music bank and ran it into the adjacent warehouse. Hunt claims he had no idea any of this was happening. So somewhere someone believed him because he actually was never brought up on charges. The case eventually gets past the U.S. attorney's office. And to this day, it is 
the largest recorded drug raid in the history of the Seattle Police Department. So, fun fact. Fun fact. Fun fact. Fun fun fact. Yep. The case would actually go to court, but wouldn't eventually go to trial. One of the business partners, Marion, actually took a guilty plea, while Von Hartman mysteriously left the U.S. And to the best of my knowledge, didn't return. So... There's that. This left the boys with Alice in Chains with two problems. Uh, the main one was they were homeless. As you know, Jerry and Lane were living at the bank and now they had nowhere to go. So they actually rented a house. And if you remember, I mentioned there was a kindly old lady named Alice who lived next to them. This house is a four bedroom house near the Tacoma International Airport where the plumbing clogged all the time. The boys had to use porta potties constantly. And eventually Alice would check on them and actually allowed them to use her guest bathroom. So they would say in later years that they would tell her that they named the band for her. Again, we know this is not entirely true. A nice gesture nonetheless. Uh, so you have to picture four guys. They're about 20, 21 years old, all musicians living in a four bedroom house. Jerry insisted on a ground floor room because he had a waterbed. So there you go. Lane in one of the upper rooms actually cut a hole through the floor. And this was so whenever he was up there, if he was sleeping and the boys were jamming, he could always hear whatever they were playing. So they would say what happened is Lane would go upstairs, they'd be playing something, he'd come down and be like, okay, let's try this. So he was never really out of it. Uh, He was always listening in through this hole that he just cut right through the floor. Um, So the house was needless to say a complete disaster. The second problem that Alice and Chains now had is they had no way to record their demo. All the plans to do it at the music bank well now it was being held by the police so they couldn't do that so randy hauser actually hooks them up with london bridge studios and they begin recording what's known as the treehouse tapes which i don't know if you've heard of these but these are some of the earliest demos and a lot of the stuff that you hear that we've pulled from is from the treehouse tapes what they did is they compiled all these songs and they re-recorded them as alice in chains so this led to some tapes that susan silver was able to move around and they got booked on king 95 news network uh sadly to say that the bank the music bank days were numbered after the raid it would reopen but it was a very tough situation and eventually scott hunt had to give away the music bank he couldn't do it anymore uh lane actually owed back rent because he wasn't working as much and so they tried to hit him with a bill and jerry actually stepped in and actually paid the whole thing so he picked up lane's tab for everything by 1988 the bank was pretty much closing Randy Hauser committed an oopsie and wound up back in jail because he failed a drug test. You remember he was on parole. So now they have no recording studio. They have no manager and they really don't know where to go next. So at this point, it gets a little hazy. It's thought that Ken Deans and Kelly Curtis actually started to back and promote the band, but other accounts say it was Susan Silver. If you remember that same cassette that was given to Randy Hauser way back when with no label on it, Hauser actually gave it to Sue Silver and said, look, can you do anything with this band? And upon hearing it, Susan Silver said yes. One year later, we would have the album of the grunge era, which is Facelift. But that's a story for the next episode, folks. So we're going to close this one out. Um, Just know that the Facelift album is going to be covered in our next episode, which is the Breakthrough Grunge album. Um, We do have the homework, which is due at the end of the series. Remember, top five Alice in Chains albums. They can be albums with Lane, without Lane. You can do any five you wish. Unplugged is on the table. And then, of course, our set list from hell, folks. It's the big four of grunge. we got Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Nirvana, and Alice in Chains. It is four songs by each band, four songs with offshoots, which again includes things like Temple of the Dog, Foo Fighters, Mad Season, Jerry Cantrell Solo, and then a four song encore of your choosing, which will be due at this series conclusion. But before we do our last song, I will turn it back over to LD as we close out our affairs on this one. So uh, again, thank you guys so much for checking this episode out. Please make sure to check out our next episode, which will be part four of Lane Staley. Uh, But for now, I will leave you with our rock and roll heaven socials. If you'd like to give to our Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. You can follow us on Twitter, which we really don't like do anymore because I lost the login information for it. And I don't know (laughs) if I gave it to anybody else. So I don't have it. Eh, Screw it. Who cares? Okay. So it is, it is a silly place. You can go to Twitter if you want and check us out at Rock and Roll LT. But you can I mean, totally look out where she's uh, commenting on. Um, I don't know. 
some <laughs> random thing that's old. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would love to see what my last tweet was for Rock and Roll Heaven, but you can do that at Rock and Roll Heaven LT. But a place where we're actually very active is on Facebook, and you can check that out at Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. Still not saying our website, and uh, please, guys, come follow us over at TikTok. Uh, we are at Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. It's all one word. I give you guys a, a good helping of fun fact trivia. We also talk about the new episodes that were coming. We'd love to get at least a thousand followers on TikTok because if so, we can go live uh, and do all kinds of fun stuff. If we hit that, like 937 more and we're there, people. <laughs> we're so close. Oh, God. So close. It would be funnier if you weren't so close to the actual number that we need. Um, <laughs> and um, if you feel like, putting fingers to computers then you can email us over at rock and roll heaven lt at gmail.com and please guys make sure to check out all the other awesome pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com pantheon podcast home of some amazing rock and roll and music based podcasts oh oh i just found our very last tweet oh, oh what was it? it what was it it says uh, the archduke ferdinand has been shot oh wow yeah i remember <laughs> that day i wonder if that's gonna have any consequences yeah probably not it's probably okay I mean, it's a, it's an isolated tragedy, but I doubt it's a domino that'll, uh, you know, uh, it's be knocked like... over to start a worldwide conflict or anything like that. I mean, it's probably it's it's probably isolated. Yeah, it's probably not like as important as what happened with Don't Worry Darling uh, at the Venice Film Festival or whatever, uh, you know, Miss Flo and uh, Olivia Wilde. I just said a whole bunch of words that my brother has no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> completely clueless <laughs> all right guys uh thank you so much uh tj would you like to say anything to our audience everybody all right and to that i also say guys stay safe and uh we will see you on the next episode i now leave it uh up to mr will to close out the episode Thank you. And thank you for joining us on this one. We got a lot of good stuff coming up on Lane. And like I said, next episode, we'll tackle the Facelift album, which came out in 1990. So we're going to leave you with a song from that album, which is one that got airplay on Seattle radio stations. It's one of my favorite tracks on the album. And that is going to be Sea of Sorrow. So enjoy and we'll see you next time.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.